Hello and welcome back to the London Tech Insider podcast. This week I speak to Sean Nolan, the founder and CEO of Blink. Blink is a fast-growing startup founded here in London and is focused on creating software for companies with a large frontline workforce. A frontline worker is essentially one without a desk, so Blink's end users can be quite diverse, from tree surgeons to bus drivers, or from hospital staff to production line workers. Like employees at all companies, these workers need to manage payroll, book shifts, and communicate with their co-workers. Solutions exist to do all this for normal desk workers, but frontline workers are rarely behind a computer and struggle with these tasks using conventional software. Sean realised this problem several years ago and set about building Blink. Now the company has gathered over £20 million in funding and is expanding quickly into international markets. To start the interview, I asked Sean to describe what Blink does as if to a five-year-old. Yeah, so the easiest way to think about that is probably if you were to stop a bus in London or in Albany, New York, or in um, Grand Rapids um, over in the US, then uh, and ask that bus driver what they did with Blink or why they have Blink on their personal smartphone, they would say, I use it to know when I need to go to work. I use it to swap my shifts with my colleagues. They would say, I get notified when I've been paid and get told how much I've been paid and I can check it's right. They would say I can contact my supervisor or my manager if I have any problems or concerns. They would say I get notified of any changes to my work pattern, schedules, policies, things I need to know about that are important to me. Um, so they would say that they use Blink on their on their personal smartphone to get all that work-related information in one place. That's probably what they would say. Yeah. Am I right in understanding that it's almost like a modern replacement for intranet? Is that like a summary that you like or is... Uh... It's, it's, it's a bit a, more complicated than that. Yeah, there's definitely it's some of the some of the roots of Blink are in that, definitely. Um, so there's definitely an analogy there somewhere. Um, you know, I think as you see intranets in a desktop environment or for us desk-based workers, intranets are um, evolving into being more digital hubs where they're connected to other applications and they have notifications and stuff. Blink kind of takes that to the next level, um, but for frontline workers. So it's very much a... One of our customers, one of our healthcare customers, a, a large hospital system in, in the US, um, described Blink as their, their digital front door. So it's, it's definitely, um, you know, in that kind of ballpark. Um, and I guess uh, you mentioned like frontline there. So I think for me, when I was kind of researching what Blink does, that was quite a, a new term um, for me, at least. So could you sort of explain a little bit like what what frontline is and yeah, so what, practically, what's sort of unique about frontline, basically. Yeah, so so you know, frontline workers would be people like bus drivers, nurses, cleaners, shop staff, um, people who work on a manufacturing floor. So they're basically deskless workers. They can also be essential workers, but fundamentally, they won't have a workplace device. So they won't be given a laptop, or, and, and won't be given a uh, won't have a, a corporate or organization owned um, mobile device and they often or normally don't even have a workplace email address so they don't really have a digital identity or footprint inside the organization and email doesn't work for them practically anyway so these kind of um, workers who are out serving um, customers each day often often mobile um, often doing a job that can't be done or sort of sat down at a desk what what is it that like needs to be communicated with them in that case or um, so, yeah, I think you gave a couple of examples. 
uh, I'm trying to remember, they were the um, the things like payroll and the swapping shifts and yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, it, communication is definitely an essential part of it, and um, that could be top-down communication. So it could be the organisation getting out. So we have a customer, for example, um, where their frontline workers work with a lot of um, harnesses and and and, and do a lot of uh, tree maintenance uh, and you know it's essential they can get out updated health and safety information to those frontline workers if there's a recall on a bit of equipment they're using you know that traditionally was very hard to get that information out into the field so you could potentially have a worker using a piece of equipment which is known not to be safe so that that would be an example of something and, and you know in, in the transit industry it can be route changes um whether whether they're temporary or, or, or permanent um, it can be updates around COVID-19, you know, if there's a change in the policy. So, for example, during, during the pandemic, we had lots of, you know, week to week changes in the, in the care home sector, for example, about what, what, what policies were, what, what the mask mandates were, what the vaccine mandates were. So getting all that information out to people, it can be stuff far more wholesome um, around rewards and recognition. Um, so recognizing colleagues, you know, for good work, amplifying your culture, recognizing the efforts that people are putting in. And it can be more practical stuff like, you know, I'm running late, I've got a HR inquiry, you know, I need to know what the policy is around this certain thing that's happened to me. Um, so it can be a whole plethora of things, really, that traditionally would be on notice boards or in people's heads or passed in word of mouth or in a, in a manual somewhere. One of our customers sort of described it as their digital toolbox because they have all of their policies, procedures, manuals. So if something goes wrong with a, with a piece of equipment or something goes wrong and someone needs to know what they need to do from a health and safety point of view, or from a compliance point of view, they've got that there um, in, on their phone as well. But, yeah. but to be honest with you, that's not the real reason why people use an open blink. The real reason is um, is access to, or the primary reason is access to other systems and information. So that the payroll example I gave, and the shift swapping example, and, and the when I work example, and like, for example, with the bus drivers in London, they get access to a... Um, a system that gives them points for driving smoothly. So if they if they brake less harshly and they accelerate more smoothly and they go around corners um, smoothly, they get points for that. It's a te- telematic system. Right. So they can access and they can access all of those third party systems through Blink without having to remember separate usernames and passwords. So it's very frictionless. So it really um, makes it much easier for for frontline workers to get access to those other critical bits of information that live somewhere deep inside some enterprise data center or computer room that traditionally traditionally would be very hard to get to and for them they would have to maybe have to wait till they're at a computer at home or a, a, you know a faulty shared computer in a canteen that might may or may not work so you know traditionally being quite hard for them to get access to those systems and makes it much easier so bringing all those all the communication and all the systems they need together in, in one app something else that could be interesting i mean you've given sort of like the bus example um so yep. far, but I guess it's always good to yep. um, to have as many examples as possible because I, I feel that really um, makes things super yep. clear. So yeah, the the example like with the telemetry for the the bus was really good. But could you um, maybe describe like the healthcare example a bit more, or who are, who are some of your other major clients and how do they how do they use Blink? Yeah, so we have lots of clients in the healthcare sector, whether that's primary care like hospitals or whether it's aged care, disability care, and rehabilitation care, in-home care. Um, so all the use cases are slightly different. I think that's one of the things about Blink is that each customer is able to adapt Blink to, the, to their needs. Um, so if we look at the in-home aged care sector, maybe we've got a large customer in the US, about 30,000 people. Um, and there you, 
you know, they are using the communication side of Blink. Their workers are incredibly um, disparate, so they often don't see each other or their supervisor for long periods of time, so it can be quite lonely. So creating that sense of togetherness and that connection between people is quite important to them, a sense of belonging um, and that support network. Um, you know, care can be, um, yeah, can be one of those occupations where you do feel a little bit isolated. So having that people around you have been through the same things or have, having the same challenges can be, can be, can be really helpful. But what on a business level and on a, on a practical level for their workers, what they're looking to do is give far more flexible access to shifts. So they're using Blink to advertise out shifts that are available at, sh at shorter notice. If someone wants to earn some extra money or, 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 or take advantage of that opportunity and, and vice versa, they want to make it easier for people to say when they're available to work so that they can make shift allocation more practical, more dynamic, give people shifts that are closer to their home, give people... Um, and allow the organisation ultimately as well to obviously fulfil more shifts so that they can offer more hours of care to um, to people that need it, which can often be a challenge as well in, in, in that sector. So um, they're using Blink. Blink's not doing that. Blink's not doing the logic behind that, but Blink is how those workers access that information and get and get notified about it. So there's another system which is the brains of that operation, but Blink is the is the interface, if you like, and 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 how those workers um, get notified. So that's that would be another example of use case. I mean, on that topic as well was maybe like something um, I wanted to ask about, which is the like engagement and the sense of belonging. Because I guess um, uh, there's like some things that you can't necessarily replace through a screen. So I, yeah, I'm sort of how um, how successful um, are you basically in creating a, a sense of belonging? Um, is yeah. it is it can it be like surprisingly effective? um the the system yeah so the best data points we have around that are, are employee satisfaction surveys that are run kind of before and after blink um and we yeah we see a measurable uptick so i think one of the key questions in those surveys that tends to have a strong correlation with retention is is this question of like my, my manager is in touch with the issues that affect me like it's like it's one of those classic kind of like um, um employee survey questions and we see scores for that. We've seen the customer scores for that going up from like the mid 30s, so like 35, 36, 37 percent, up to high 60s or early 70s, so 67 to, to sort of 72 percent. So, yeah, we see a strong uptick in in the sense of connection between people and their managers, which is one of the most important. You know, the old saying that people don't leave jobs; they leave they leave managers. So that mm. we see that, and, and just overall, yeah, we see a reduction, a measurable reduction in staff turnover. We see a measurable overall increase in staff satisfaction. Um, we see a measurable, a significant uptick in just responses to surveys. So yeah. traditionally, actually, it's really hard just to listen to, to frontline workers and, and, and understand what their concerns are. So it's not unusual for us to go into a customer where maybe they're getting a 20 or 30% response rate to their to their annual s survey um, because just delivery of them is difficult, whether they're trying to deliver them through paper, whether they're trying to deliver them through SMS, or they're trying to do them on the phone, it's really hard. So, um, and after Blink, we can get response rates of sort of 70 or 80%. To those. So just the proportion of the workforce that's just participating in the conversation goes up significantly as well. And I mean, so it's not just communication as well coming from the head office and going out toward the frontline workers. Like it's also, it sounds like there's a means for the communication to go back the other way. Um, so is it people, the frontline workers sort of maybe posting on Blink about their concerns or the problems that they're having or and is that yeah, is it almost like a public forum 
Exactly. So we call it conversations. So moving from a method of sort of top-down communication where you're just pushing out one-way messages um, to, to, to starting to create conversations inside the organization. So they, they can be conversations from the CEO to someone on the front line. They can be conversations between peers. They can be conversations between someone and the manager. They can be conversations between groups of people who share a common um, set of challenges, a role in a certain geo. geo. Um, so yeah, we really want to c connect people and, and, and start creating those conversations that creates that, that sense of belonging that, that we talked about. So yeah, it's definitely more than, and we do that through, through a few different modalities. So yeah, we definitely support those different types of top-down communication, whether that's for compliance messages, whether that's asking people to attest they've read something, whether that's you know an urgent health and safety message that we need people to acknowledge, whether it's annual company results. We do all that stuff, of course. But we also allow people locally to create their own content and share that with their own their own teams um, around something that's important to them. We allow um, managers to amplify um, examples of good things that happen inside the organization. So you get real stories um, shedding from the front line. And then we allow people to participate um, in conversations around those items. So through comments, through th threaded comments um, and through group chats and group messaging and, and other modalities like, um, yeah, we, we in a, in a, we try to do it in a very controlled way where we're not trying to be sort of social networks. We're not trying to, we're trying to keep the signal and the noise ratio at a really high quality level so that when people open the app, they see things that they want to see and it's relevant to, to, to their work life. Um, but, but yeah, ultimately moving away from top-down comms to, to, to more two-way conversations in the early yeah. to keep part of it. That's, I mean, that's also, I think, um, that you like slightly preempted something I want to uh, ask about, which is um, yeah, that's interesting to hear. You say you didn't want to um, be another like social network, and I guess um, is there sort of a risk that the app can sort of tip into becoming uh, a bit of a distraction at all if you make it too stimulating? Is that something that you've thought about on the, the product side? Definitely, definitely, we think about that deeply. Um, you know, we, for example, internally, we don't over-optimize for those kind of engagement stats. So we don't over-optimize. Um, we're not, there's no one in this organization who's driven around trying to increase the number of app opens per day or anything like that. Mm. So, and then we do quite a lot of listening to frontline workers. Um, so there's different personas of frontline workers, right? So some people really want to get engaged in that type of stuff and some people really don't like it. So how do you, how do you have an app that gives this, the best experience to both those parties. So some people in their in their newsfeed, for example, want to see social uh, interactions as well as, the, as as more formal stuff, more 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 functional stuff. And, and other people don't want to see that; they just want to see the functional. So we put a lot of thought into how can we allow those people to tailor their experience while still giving, the, you know, the best overall. Um, you know, still hitting the, the goals that the company needs to hit practically. Um, so so yeah. We have controls in the app that allow people to set some preferences. We, we allow extensive filtering um, of the content. We allow tagging of the content. Um, and we, and we, yeah, and we've designed the interface and we designed the defaults to, to, to try and tread that, that, that line that, that kind of um, keeps that signal to noise ratio where we want it to be. So, I mean, is, is that, is the, the signal to noise the main thing that stops it from being, um, uh, a social media, as you describe, or like, what what is it that makes something a social media, basically, and how like is is it basically what you've yeah, been describing? So I mean, that... there's, there's layers to it, right? So um, 
the first thing to say probably is like n nothing in Blink is anonymous. So it's all tagged with not only your name, but also your job title and location. So it's very identifiable by you, right? So it very much sets the tone of the platform straight away. Mm. We then we don't allow in the main feed, we don't allow um, individuals to create things like groups. So you can't create a group around your five-side soccer team or, 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 or I don't know, you, I'm a big dog owner, so you can't create a, a, a club for, for dog owners. Um, so it's, it very much replicates the hierarchy of your organization. So you'll be in groups and teams that are relevant to your role, relevant to your job title, relevant to your location, maybe relevant to the shifts you're working, and you'll be put into those automatically, and they are managed automatically. Um, so we all do, we do that for you or for the worker, so that they, and that's then so that the sort of is meant to replicate the real life social construct. So that those people who spend time together each day, or those people who work the same sort of jobs in the same sort of locations, see content from each other. So it's very much around strengthening strengthening those social bonds and ties that already exist versus creating new ones around interest topics and stuff. Now it, the latter is possible, but it has to be done by the organisation, so they can create. You know, if they've got an initiative coming up around DNI, or they've got a Christmas party coming up, and they want to create a group to allow people to organise that, they absolutely can do that. And people can create private groups, absolutely, in a separate part of the app, but but not in the main feed. So that's some of the ways that we kind of um, manage manage that dynamic. It's interesting, I guess, because um, I know like Meta is uh, doing something similar, and. Yeah, so I, I, it'd be good to maybe talk about the the competition as well a little bit. Um, I, I think like the I had a look at um, I think it was called like workplace. Like, do you see see that as a um, a direct piece of competition um, to what you're doing? And are, are they going down the more social media path with what they've created? You know, I, I think what we see is when companies are looking at addressing retention or um satisfaction of frontline workers or or looking at their frontline worker universe there's many ways they can look to try and improve that they look at benefits platforms discount platforms um they can look at online e-learning providers they can look at training they can look at um, a whole plethora of different um solutions out there access to what your wages early other things that are going to improve the daily lives of frontline workers so yeah and, and inside of the comms area workplace is definitely one of those the way we see ourselves is very much a click up from that. So we're trying to be this digital, we are this digital front door um, that allows frontline workers to get access to anything they need. So it's, it's not, communications is, is, a, is a component of that and, and, a, and a subsection, but it's not by any means the, the, the main selling point. So, you know, Blink, when we're talking to customers, Blink is very much around how do we give your frontline workers seamless, secure access to all of the enterprise resources and technology and digital systems and experiences they need to be productive, to make their lives easier every day, both and both today, but also like next year when you want to roll out, you know, dynamic shift scheduling or you want to roll out um, a new compliance platform. Like how are you how are you going to deliver that to a frontline worker in a really seamless, instant way? So that's very much what Blink is around. The communication part of that. Is, is, is a sub subcomponent that we do do is one, one, one of the parts of Blink. There's also the social component you talked about, which very much kind of the workplace, social, enterprise social network stuff. Um, you know, you've got Yammer, you've got Jive, you've got all those enterprise social networks. Um, that's, that is another element of, of it. What we tend to see in customers is when they've rolled out an enterprise social network, um, the adoption rates are pretty low. Like maybe that's in the, maybe it's in the twenties, like 20%. Um, of, of frontline workers are actually using those applications each month. 
Whereas when we roll out Blink, it's it's significantly higher. It's it's eighty percent plus. It's ninety percent plus. We've got we've got customers on ninety nine percent adoption um, of the application. So yeah, it's far more of a a tool that frontline workers appreciate and a benefit to them around how that we make their daily lives easier. A Blink versus um, another application that they may or may not want to open every day. Which I mean, yeah, that's that's quite um, striking. The um, the sort of adoption rate that you have, um, and it, is that sort of because it's um, like designed specifically for frontline workers? Is like like is there nobody else doing out there that is specifically targeting those on the front line? Basically, there's lots of other companies out there targeting um, building solutions for frontline workers. Like I mentioned, like. Um, getting paid early. So there's, you know, there's providers out there like WageStream who allow frontline workers to get access to their pay on the day they earn it or, or earlier than, than they're due to. And so there's lots of other, and there's people doing, you know, referral applications so you can refer a friend and get and get points or get get cash for that. Um, so there's lots of other people solving um, problems for frontline workers, definitely. What we don't see is an easy way for frontline workers to get access to those. There's probably a dozen or so applications that a frontline worker needs each day to be productive. Um, across the, the sort of um, life cycle of, of their work, from mindfulness and wellness stuff through to payroll, through to HR, booking leave, holiday, doing e-learning. And what we want to do is allow companies to push all of those separate tools out in, 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 and allow them to be accessible through one app so that frontline workers don't need to download 12 or 15 applications and try and log in with different usernames and passwords and stuff. So we don't see anyone solving that problem in the way that we do. You know, the way we think about it is when, when we're talking to a new customer and we're planning a launch or planning a rollout, we map out jobs to be done. So like where in a frontline worker's daily life is the friction? Like where can we make their lives easier? Where can we take minutes, um, give them time back out of their day um, so they don't have to queue at a desk to get to, to, to book some leave or submit a form for some holiday or submit a form for a new uniform or submit a form for a, a near miss or an accident that's happened. So that we can allow them to do that in a more in a more convenient way, um, so that we can um, allow them to, to to see their pay, and if their pay is not right, they can immediately log a payroll inquiry. Say, hey, this pay isn't right, versus waiting until next week and having to again uh, do some some laborious process. So, yeah, that's that's very much where we're focused. Something else, I uh, I was sort of um, wondering about, you know, because you obviously have um, very um, established people, at least like in well, I think in all the, the areas that you're covering, um, yeah. so it's like, uh, how do you compete with like so much money uh, and attention going in that direction? But I think probably the answer is quite obvious that you're doing something uh, quite unique. Um, would you agree with that? that? Yeah, I think so. I think we're still early in this. So um, when... It's only in the last sort of four or five years that actually probably more recently that smartphone penetration into the has been high enough um, and accessible enough that most frontline workers now have a smartphone. So that opens up doors to say, okay, what technology can we give them to, to in a work context um, that's gonna that's gonna enrich their work experience. Um, and you know people have been trying to figure this out i think over the last sort of five or ten years so like do do, do we want do we need to give every frontline worker their own workplace mobile phone 
probably not. People don't want to carry around two smartphones. It's expensive. It's clunky. It doesn't really solve the problem. Um, do we want to, to buy technology off the shelf for things like I don't know, employee surveys, employee listening, as an example? There's lots of tools out there that do that really well, and we can buy them. But then how do you push them out to a frontline worker? So we go and see a customer and like, oh, yeah, we just bought, I don't know, Pecan or just bought CultureAmp or just bought, we've got SurveyMonkey. So they've got the software, but they're like, actually, how do we deliver this to a frontline worker? How do we get them to engage with it? It's still an unsolved problem. So that's very much where we've come at this space. Um, and I think if you look at the traditional technology stacks like G Suite or Microsoft 365 that, that we as desk-based workers would rely on as a, the sort of core of our digital experience. Again, they're quite fragmented when you get to mobile. So there's multiple mobile applications needed to do even the simplest of tasks. So if I'm a Microsoft 365 customer and I, I you know, I, I can, I, I might need Teams, then I might need the OneDrive app, and I might need the SharePoint app, and I might need to have um, the company portal app and a whole load of, you know, a bunch of other applications that are needed in order to be able to deliver you know, the sort of end-to-end -end digital employee experience that we wanted that we wanted to deliver to workers um, in order to allow us to give them a, you know, a frictionless onboarding, offboarding process, et cetera, in order to allow the company to digitize a load of their processes so they can modernize their operations. Um, so we think that's an unsolved bit of the jigsaw, that kind of aggregation on, on, on a frontline worker's personal smartphone that we're really, that's where we're really focused, Neil. And, and, and to answer your question, no, we don't see anyone else doing that really well and that's where we yeah that's where we see an opportunity to really innovate oh and i mean uh like a follow-up is sort of like um where the idea came from uh how how you started thinking about this stuff and spotted an opportunity that maybe other people haven't i guess yeah yeah so it's definitely through iteration i i i became interested in this space through the whole deskless worker um in my last company, we had about um, 200 um, mobile or deskless workers, um, or certainly people that we didn't give devices to, and they were they were they were consultants or they were engineers, and they would be sat um, on customer premises, so quite hard to reach. So that's what we in that company we built our own software to do these types of things we've been talking about, from timesheets to appraisals to expenses to um, news communication, those kind of things. Um, so that's how I got kind of interested in. Okay, when you got a um, when you've got a workforce which is which is very disparate, how do you create a strong culture? How do you create a sense of belonging? How do you make their lives easier? How do you make company administration easier? It was when we got into build, we started building Blink and we started going out and doing customer discovery that we really started to understand the frontline market and started to talk to customers who had large frontline workforces and really started to understand that actually, and it was customers that told us that they couldn't find solutions to this problem at that time. So that's when we really found that there was a, sort of latent demand in the space where there was customers searching for solutions and they couldn't really figure this out um, using off-the-shelf technology. So, you know, we had we discovered there was more there was there was more and more people starting to build their own solutions, starting to engage consultancies to build custom solutions, build mobile apps for their employees and stuff. That was, you know, and that's a, obviously as you know, a very expensive and 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 um, not necessarily productive way to go in building people building your own technology. So we we saw an opportunity to to deliver a product in that space that, that was best yeah. of free. And 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 when when was this? What what's the sort of timeline? Uh, yeah, so that, that most of that happened around 2018 and 2017, 2018, and 2019. Um, so that was when we built the first version of the product. We took it out to market. We did a lot of iteration based on customer feedback, and then we ultimately signed our first big customer, which was Stagecoach in the UK. So sort of 20, 24,000, um, or about twenty, I think about twenty twenty one and a half thousand 
um, bus drivers. Um, yeah. And um, that, that was the first kind of big deployment that we did that, that really tested um, the product out. And, and Yeah. I mean, what, what did the early product look like as well? Like what, what was the, the first, the first features, um, uh, that you developed? Yeah. And, and Neil, I think even today I'd say that Blink is still at sort of day one on that stuff. Like we, we, there's, there's a lot of room for improvement in, in the product. Um, but even back then it was, it was, it was, it was much worse. So, um, yeah, it, it was pretty early prototype. It, it did the core bits that we needed it to do. So it had, you know, it had all of the same components that you see now. Um, but it was nowhere near as the edges were not as rounded off, you know, mm. and, and that is down to things like the onboarding flow. We did a lot of work around how to make it much smoother and easier to, to onboard workers that don't necessarily have an email address or, or an identity. So through QR codes, through SMS messages, those types of things. We did, we did a lot of work around privacy, which is really important to frontline workers. So how do we protect their privacy? How do they make, how do they, how do we make sure they're comfortable with the fact that the company can't access things that are on their personal device, for example, or it's not tracking their location, um, or what happens when they leave, what happens when the phones are lost, those types of things. Um, so around security as well, we did a lot of work around moderation and around how we create a context that isn't um, open to misuse and, 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 is, and is a productive environment. Um, for people to to operate and to share in, um, and then of course on the enterprise integration side of things, we've done a lot of work over the last few years around um, expanding out the number of systems that we integrate with, making it easier to integrate with, with systems. Um, a lot of work around making it seamless to administer, automating all the administration. So yeah, Neil, it's it was like a, a completely different product probably two or three years ago. Fair, and I mean, so you say there's still a lot that you you want to do to yeah. Uh, improve things. I mean, what's what's like right at the top of the the to do list or the agenda? Um, we're thinking a lot at the moment around volume of communication and around navigation. So, in some of these larger deployments that we do, the volume of, of content can grow very quickly, and that can be, that can be um, that can be difficult to navigate. That can be difficult to find what you're looking for. It can be difficult to figure out, as we talked about earlier, the signal from the noise. Um, it can be difficult for organizations to c curate the digital employee experience that they want to. So we're putting a lot of thought right now into that. That's one of our main work streams um, uh, uh, on one hand. The, another major work stream for us is around analytics and information. So um, allowing organizations to look holistically at the whole organization and see which teams inside the organization have higher engagement and lower engagement. And then maybe and try and start to understand why, so we can give people actionable insights into into what's happening in different parts of the organisation. Maybe where listening can be improved, or where responsiveness to employee queries can be improved, or where we can you know, opportunities to really drive up employee satisfaction and employee engagement. Looking at dashboards around that, um, and then we we're about to launch a new self service product so that anyone can sign up and use the app um, with just a credit card and, and get started straight away. So. They're the three sort of major work streams we're working on right now. Uh, I mean, maybe like just on that uh, self-service one, is is that sort of um, it means that they won't need you to help them to like Correct. onboard onto the app? Yeah. Um, so we launched it. We actually we look we did a little sprint um, uh, the week before last um, uh, or last week. So. You can, you can actually, we sort of launched it in beta, if you like. So if you actually go to our homepage and you click get started and on the next page, which is a form, you, you select that you're less than 200 people. It actually takes you through that flow. So you can now sign up. We haven't put it front and center on the homepage yet. 
Um, but yeah, absolutely. You can sign up yourself, um, 14 day free trial, use a credit card to upgrade if you want to after, after that. And uh, you can use most of the features of the app. Um, not all of the self, not all the single sign on to third party systems is self service yet, but it will be in the next. I don't know. I get told off for committing to timelines. In the, let's <laughs> say the, next, the next four to eight weeks. Um, yeah. Immediate horizon. Yeah. I mean, what uh, from like my naive perspective, it would seem uh, quite straightforward to be uh, like self serving. Like, what are some of why, why is it like more difficult than? Uh, you might initially think to to get set up with something like Blink. Um, is it because I remember earlier you were saying like all the customization and stuff for it not to become like another social media? Is that part of it or? Yeah, so we call those categories. For example, you can configure all those things through the admin panel. Um, yeah, it, it's 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 Neil. It's not. For, we built the platform originally with this in mind. So I think where a platform has been architected in a way that allows self service, it, it's not a, a huge lift. Um, at this point, it's much harder though to build a experience which is intuitive and easy to understand and get value from really quickly. That's where I'd say we're probably still very early. So although we're turning it back on, it's going to take us, I would imagine, six or twelve months to really nail that day one experience so that customers can pick it up and start getting value really, really quickly. Um, it's a multi-user product at the end of the day. So until you start inviting other people, the, the value you can get from it is pretty limited. Um, but building an experience where people are engaged when they first sign in, they want to set it up, they want to create that employee experience so it looks great and feels great, and then they start inviting their colleagues is, is, is definitely where we want to, where we want to be. One, one final, maybe like a uh, group of questions it'd be uh, nice to come on to is sort of um, wants to do more with like the business, I guess. So far, we've kind of talked about like the, the product quite a lot and um, the client, but um, maybe like one thing I wanted to ask about was sort of how the contracts work and mm -hmm. the sort of the combin. Is it um, that the because um, it sounds like Blink, you know, there's a lot of different parts to the uh, mm -hmm. product. So are like a few of them like grouped together, and then you you uh, they they pay based on how many different products they have. I could imagine it, it works something like that or. Is yeah. it more to do with the size of their team and does everyone get all the products? Yeah, so we charge per user per year or per month, depending on how people want to pay. Um, and we have several tiers, depending on the, the feature set that people want to access. Most of our enterprise customers take the full feature set and then self-service customers um, get a more basic feature set. Um, it's not an area we... I've spent a lot of time to be honest so we haven't over optimized our pricing or packaging yet it's, it's very much it's pretty simple it's on the website um but it's it's um yeah it's it, it's it's we've over the last three years we've definitely tried to open up as many of the features as possible to as many customers as possible just because you know we really value that feedback and we want people to be using the, the stuff we've built um and we, we it's an area where we you know we kind of see think about think about okay in the future we'll figure that out and we'll get better at that but right now let's just you know find customers who really want to push the envelope of what a frontline employee experience could look like and let's partner with them and let's try and um let's try and build something really special together so we, we haven't 
We haven't super over optimized on prices and packaging yet, so it's pretty it's pretty vanilla model typically ends up being with any customers of, of any size, say over a thousand people, it ends up being a kind of flat fee per 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 worker per year. Was it sort of the, the figure, I mean, was it decided? Is it almost based on sort of um, you know, the amount per user per year? Is that sort of how a certain amount of like, do you, do you sort of think about the value that they create per user per year? And then you're sort of taking a fraction of that. Um, yeah, we definitely do that work. So we have lots of ROI models based on, you know, different customers think about this in different ways. So we've had customers who built their business case um, around saving a paper, for example, one of our customers did. And we had other, we have other customers who built their business case around them being able to grow their top line just because they can fill more shifts. We have other customers who do the calculation around reducing employee turnover, and we have other customers who are able to retire some older systems. So, um, it's it's a little bit surprising how the, the sort of broad rainbow of the different ways in which different customers think about how the ROI model and how they want to build it. Um, so there's, there's definitely we definitely we definitely have a lot of experience in, in doing that, and 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 yes, we can definitely prove, um, you know very categorically that the ROI is there times many, many fold times 10 times 20 times 30. Um, the quick answer to your question is no, we haven't optimized around sort of capturing a percentage of that ROI. Um, you know, we tried to price Blink is typically an is new spend. Like we're not replacing, typically we're not replacing something that's already there. There might be some opportunities to retire small systems, but it's normally new, a new investment. So it has to stand up on its own two feet. Um, we tend to find, to be honest, that customers can be quite skeptical about, I had a customer who said to me, the CEO said to me, you know, don't tell me what, don't tell me what you do. I, I've looked at your website. I get it. Don't tell me about the problem. You know, you know, I, I, I've run this organization. I understand the problem. So just tell me how you, how this actually works, how you get adoption, how you integrate with existing systems. Like just convince me this, what you're saying is actually true. We had this again a couple of weeks ago. A customer said to me, look, after the first call, they'd have said, look, if, if, if what you're saying is true, I'm happy to proceed. Like, so then we just do a pilot, do a proof of concept, prove all the concepts, prove it's true, prove the ROI, prove whatever needs to be proved, and then, and then we move forward from there. So, um, yeah, we try to keep the barriers to adoption on the commercial side as low as possible for now. Um, mm. You know, we really want to want to learn, want to experiment, want to build more great products. Um, and, and that's kind of how we think about pricing is just, you know, what's, the, what's for a net new spend, for something where a customer might initially... Um, see this as a sort of nice to have, but definitely isn't. It definitely becomes an essential component of their infrastructure and their, and, and their business. Um, then we just want to lower the barriers to adoption. I mean, just on, on the topic of uh, like the business as well, I think something else that's maybe quite notable about Blink is sort of your expansion and uh, moving to New York as well. I think your the sense of your uh, operations. So yeah, I guess, um, how, how is it going generally, I guess, with, with the growth of Blink and, um, maybe I'll, I'll, uh, it's a separate question, sort of like the, the move to New York as well. I, I thought I should address that since it's the London Tech Insider podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, listen, growth's going well. Um, you know, I think finding great people is always, is always a challenge. So, you know, on the recruitment side, on talent acquisition side, it's, it's something we're always working on. Um, but yeah, we've grown headcount um, by over 2x in the last 12 months. We're going to grow it again by about the same in the next 12 months. 
Um, so yeah, listen, I think, you know, we're going through all the same challenges that any organization would in that sort of phase around how do you maintain the culture? How do you create clarity of purpose and vision? How do you, how do you, how do you ensure we can keep focus and pace um, as we grow? Um, and, and, and yeah, that's, that's, that's an ongoing challenge. You know, we're constantly thinking about how we amplify those things, how we onboard the right, onboard, the right, onboard people in the right way um, and all that kind of good stuff. Um, uh, yeah, listen, in terms of the US, it's already our largest market, I think, um, and, and, and our fastest growing. So it made sense to lean in more heavily to it. Um, I'm, you know, although I love, although I love a remote world as, as much as everyone else does, I think there's, there's often no replacement for being on the ground. So I kind of felt that I had to, in order to take, in order to make sure we built the right team there, especially, and we're able to attract the right level of talent, but also, you know, in order to give early customers the right level of confidence, I felt I had to be there to, to give that the best chance. So kind of made the decision to move there. So I moved there with my wife about six weeks ago. And yeah, we're still in the, still in the early stages of setting up. Two, two, two other members of the team here from London have moved over as well. Um, and we already had a, a great team over there of around a dozen people. So yeah, it's starting to get motoring in the US. Yeah. And I mean, uh, it's in sort of the the split of work, is it uh, mostly sort of like the sales and marketing and distribution in America and that you still have the engineering side yeah. in London or is, is yeah. it that you're yeah, so all of, all of, yeah, so all of our products and engineering people are here in London, absolutely. Um, along with finance, operations, people, customer success. Well, customer success is split globally, but, you know, run out of London, same with implementation. Um, and then, yeah, same with marketing, even marketing's run out of London, but we have a global team. And then yeah, it's really the sales team which is which is which is globally distributed to be near to the customers. Um, um, so we're, we're hiring um, in the US both account executives, um, business development reps, so people who who do lead generation, and also pre-sales engineers and pre-sales consultants as, as well. That is the end of the episode. A special thank you to Sean for taking the time to record this. There was a point in this conversation where it really clicked for me why frontline workers need Blink. It was when Sean described that there are many different applications for frontline workers that they might need in a day, like for managing payroll, for booking shifts, and simply communicating. Using existing software, adoption rates tend to be very low because workers find it frustrating to switch between so many different apps. As Blink provides one centralized place for frontline workers to do all their admin, the adoption rates for the app are dramatically higher. Anyway, thank you for listening and I'll be back soon for another episode.